You're listening to the Enrich podcast from Rich Jewish College. And today we're going to take um, a, a recent theme of ours a bit further. Um, if you've seen our, some of our lectures on the, um, on the Richard Hewish YouTube channel and uh, episode three of the Hewish podcast, um, you'll have seen that there's been a bit of a focus uh, on the Nazis recently. And today we're going to take that further and examine the links between the Great Depression and the growth of communist and fascist movements across the whole world in the 1930s. Now, it's clear that following the Wall Street crash of the 29th of October 1929, that extreme fascist and communist movements grew throughout the world. The National Socialist in Germany, to take one example, went from polling under one million votes in 1928 to polling nearly six and a half million votes in 1930. But it would be foolish, I think, to merely assume that because the dates fit, that the decline of the economy and the growth of extremism are inextricably linked. Certainly it's true that communist and fascist parties who were in the political wilderness before the crash found support after it. But whether the World Depression of the 30s was the most important cause is an issue which I think requires a bit further examination. Too often, the simple conclusion that dire economic circumstances allowed extremism to flourish has been reached too quickly without examining other causes, such as weak and corrupt governments, intrigue and political naivety. Indeed, the most long-lived communist regime in the world, Soviet Russia, was born not in the fiery crucible of economic meltdown in the 30s, but in 1917. And what's more, uh, what's more, largely escaped the Depression. As such, it can be seen that, the com- that communism was strong before the Depression and strong after it too. Nevertheless, it must not be forgotten that the total failure of liberal capitalism, capitalism in 1929 must have compelled people strongly to seek new systems of governance and new economic principles. Though such a search need not invariably lead to communism or fascism, it seems clear that in some cases at least, it did just that. Moreover, it seems that communism and fascist groups were most successful when and where the depression was at its worst, most notably in Italy, France, Spain and Germany. Whereas in countries where, in relative terms, they weren't as severely affected by the depression, such as Britain and the USA, communist and fascist groups were not nearly as prevalent and never really managed to journey from the lunatic fringes of politics. To fully understand the dynamic between the depression and the growth of extremist parties like communist and fascist groups, it's important first to understand the exact nature of what the depression was and how this relates to support for radical politics. The unemployment caused by the depression in Germany seems to have been a major cause for the increased membership of radical parties there. Indeed, up to 85% of the membership of the German Communist Party, the KDP, immediately before Hitler's accession to power, were unemployed. This strongly suggests that it was poverty that caused, uh, caused by the Depression that drove people to join the KDP. But the rise in membership might not necessarily be caused by the Depression. It may simply be the case that it was predominantly unemployed that had the time to dedicate to party membership. But it does seem the case that people chose to join extremist parties such as the KDP and the Nazis, the NSDAP, rather than more moderate parties. It seems that such was the trauma caused by the depression in Germany due to the collapse of the currency, the crumbling agrarian prices and mass unemployment, that people lost faith in liberal capitalism. To quote Eric Hobsbawm, the the historian of this period, the Great Slump confirmed intellectuals, activists and ordinary citizens in the belief that something was fundamentally wrong with the world they lived in. And if this system was believed to be fundamentally wrong, then it figures that a fundamental change was needed. 
This fundamental change, though, does not immediately mean communism or fascism. Indeed, in histories less hard hit by the Depression, like the UK, fundamental change came first in abandoning the gold standard and then by adopting, to a various extent, the policies of John Maynard Keynes, not by adopting extreme politics. These changes were not as far-reaching nor as elemental as those proposed by the KDP and NSDAP. And as such, maybe the more extreme the policy caused by the Depression, the more extreme the politics of the nation. The growth of communist and fascist movements seems to have been strongest in countries where the existing political system was weak. It's perhaps telling, telling that fascist groups like the NSDAP in Germany and the Croix de Four Solidarité Française and Jeunes Patriots in France were not only calling for new economic policies, but for a total change of the political system. Furthermore, the level of popular support for these groups suggests that a significant proportion of the masses had also lost faith in the existing system and didn't feel that it was strong enough to take the measures required to stabilise the economy. This was also true of the communists across Europe. Indeed, were any of the voters in either France or Germany to look east to the Soviet Union, they would see a country that had a government with a total grip on power, and most importantly, a country that was escaping the worst ravages of the Great Depression. Their economy, indeed, was actually growing. Of course, in hindsight, it's clear that this miraculous growth was aided by Stalin's cruel and destructive five-year plans. But to the onlooker of the 1930s, it may have looked quite a utopia, especially when compared to their own dire circumstances. This accounts greatly for the growth of communist movements during the Depression. Indeed, Marxism must have had an intrinsic attraction in that it wasn't capitalism, which in the eyes of many had totally failed in the years after the Wall Street crash. Again, it seems that the cause... Uh, was more the, the greater the, the problem, the more extreme the solution proposed. Where in the UK, Keynesianism was enough, for many French and German people, much further more extreme steps were needed, either in the form of communism or fascism. The link between the Depression and the growth of communism and fascism can be quite clearly seen in France, thanks to the, the, the delayed effect of the Depression there. Whereas in Germany the effect of the Wall Street crash on politics was almost immediate, in France the franc, their currency, remained strong and gold stocks remained undepleted up until about 1934, when France too starts to feel the effects of the Depression. And it's indeed at this point that we see a sudden upsurge in support for extremist politics. This again suggests that people sought extreme solutions for extreme problems. The success of the Paris riot of the 6th of February 1934 by fascist organisations enforcing the Deladier government to resign, suggests that support was growing in France for extreme politics at exactly the time that France began to slide into an economic crisis that was already affecting the rest of Europe. As economic crises in France grew, at the same time support for these extremist groups grew, so it seems it was the engine of their success. Bloom's far-right popular front that came to power in 1936, with the promise of fixing France's ailing economy, was replaced by a right-wing government just over a year later because it had failed to deliver, again showing the people that the people would support anyone whom they believed would save them from the desperate situation they found themselves in. France again illustrates the point that the more extreme the situation, the more extreme the solution, as France remained democratic until the Nazi invasion, whereas where conditions were worse in Germany and in Italy, fascist dictatorships were established sooner. 
Other factors too, though, must account for the growth of communist and fascist groups in this period. In France, such groups did not become electorally popular until Hitler's Nazis had taken power in Germany, suggesting that national security was as much of a concern in people's minds as the economy. Although a belief in strong government, like a communist or fascist one, might stem from dire economic circumstance, it may also stem from a fear that one's own country might be at risk. It's also true that France's extremism grew later than that in Germany and Italy, because France felt the effects of the Depression later. So although a desire for strong government to stave off the Nazi threat may have led in part to the growth of communist and fascist parties, it seems that, as elsewhere, the economic situation was the driving force. Those in France may well have been encouraged by the economic recovery being enjoyed in Germany thanks to huge public investment, whatever the sinister nature of it. And surely this aided the growth of fascist groups in France, just as the Soviets' immunity to the Depression might have cultivated support for Marxism. Because of the Depression, weak regimes were enfeebled still further. For example, in Germany, the Social Democrats had been able to cripple the Cap Putsch in March 1920 by calling a general strike, but were unable to repeat this when Hitler came to power, as the Depression meant that a strike would have had a devastating consequence for the economy. So the Depression allowed more extreme groups to take advantage of the impotence of the established moderate parties, and this surely aided their growth. Where traditional politicians could only offer the people variations on the capitalism that failed them so totally, communists and fascists could offer a whole new system. Indeed, communism seemed to be working in the Soviet Union, from the outside at least, and fascism in the form of national socialism had never been tried, and so had never failed. As such, the fact that the current system had failed and was too weak to correct the economy compelled people to support communist and fascism, perhaps more strongly than any other factor. An alternative, it was felt, was needed, no matter what it was. This is illustrated by the fact that many voters switched between communist and fascist parties. Though this seems contradictory, it's evidence that the supporters of communism and fascism were not supporting the specific ideology of either, but rather were supporting the concept of overturning the current system that had failed them. Although it's true that the Depression was not the sole cause of the growth of communist and fascist movements, it certainly seemed to have been the most important and most common one. Whereas individual reasons for success can be found for various communist and fascist groups, the Depression is a universal cause for their growth. Indeed, many extreme groups would have found no success at all without the Depression, the single factor generating support for them. None would have found success without it. The link between the Depression and the growth of communist and fascist movements is fundamentally a simple one. The Depression was the most extreme economic collapse in modern history, and so people turned to the most extreme ideologies in modern history to solve it, however foolish they may have turned out to be. Let us hope that when the next Depression comes, we can find some more moderate solutions. <laughs>